Well, you're here. You made it. It is week one of our brand new series called Joshua. Um, you know, if you were here last week, I gave you a homework assignment. I said, start reading the book of Joshua. I've been reading this book um, for the last several weeks now in preparation for this series, and it's a fascinating book of the Bible. As a matter of fact, it was one of those things where I tried to shake it and go somewhere else and do something different, and I just kept coming back to the book of Joshua. And as I would describe it to people, they're like, oh, no, that's good, Pastor. You need, you need to talk about that. No, that's really good. I can't wait to hear about that. And so I just couldn't get away from this book of the Bible, this incredible person named Josh. Everybody say Joshua. So if you don't know our flow at New Beginnings, um, we, we've kind of figured out some of the rhythms and flows of life. And in the summer, we don't mind taking a few weeks to say, hey, like, let's just go through the Bible. Let's just like work the scripture. Let's let the text breathe. Like what if we just let the Bible and even a particular book of the Bible just kind of speak to us. And so in the summer, we'll kind of go down that flow a little bit. Let me tell you why that's really, really important. And you just like, just hone in with me, stay focused on me. There is this I think problem that, that Christianity is running into in this kind of 21st century, this modern era that we live in, you know, we just got through with a series called hashtag struggles where we recognize that we, we kind of don't have the ability to be calm, to rest, to be still, to be at peace. We're over kind of like uh, stimulating our mind that we don't have the ability to do certain things. And one of the things that we've lost in our ability to have rest and is to have literally a time of devotion to God and scripture reading. And so one of the things that I think that you see in the, the current American generation is that you see, in essence, Bible illiteracy. Can I put it like that? Like, we're not as biblically educated as we used to be as followers of Christ. It's like we believe in God, we have faith in God, but we don't actually know the scripture really well. And so to me, it's just really important to every once in a while take on a book of the Bible so that you say, hey, no, we've been through this book. We've, we've studied this book. I kind of know what the Bible says. And so that's one of the other reasons we like taking on literally a book of the Bible sometimes rather than just a big topic. And so I'm telling you though, Joshua is an incredible book of the Bible, and, and let's just kind of dive into this big idea. Joshua, if you don't know, is the sixth book of the Bible, that when you open up your Bible, starting at page one, you find Genesis. And as you move forward, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, everybody say Torah. Torah is what the Jewish person would have called the first five books of the Bible. It was the collection and the works of Moses. And, and it kind of gave this incredible story of the history of Israel and where they came from and how they became literally a person that turned into a family and a family that turned into a nation of slaves that God eventually set free from Egyptian bondage. And so these people come through the desert, and that's kind of where the first five books of the Bible end. And they end with this kind of... Well, it, it, it's, it's them ending in one place, but yet they're not where they want to be in life. You ever been there before? You're not where you used to be, but you're not quite where you want to be yet. And you just kind of stuck. You ever been in a holding pattern flying over an airport? You ever been stuck on a runway and you can't take off? You're not where you used to be. But bless God, you're not where you want to be either. And so you just kind of, and that's where they're at right now. And so they're stuck. And, and, and now here's the problem with where Joshua is stuck. He's stuck in the worst possible place, in my opinion. It is awful how he is stuck because he's basically stuck. And now, have you ever been this place in life? Have you ever been in a new season of life that was so overwhelming that you said to yourself, oh, dear God, what am I doing? Have you ever been in a season of life where you felt like, what have I gotten myself into? I'm not prepared for this. I'm not qualified for this. I don't think I can do this. Oh, dear Lord. Have you ever been 
there before. Like I remember when I was 24, I had my first kid. I looked at my wife. I said, babe, you know what to do with kids, right? Because I don't know anything. Like you babysat once, right? Something like, you know, we're not going to break this thing. Peyton, I'm sorry. Um, but, but when you're 24 years old and you have no parenting skills, you, you, you kind of have this sense of like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm completely in over my head. Have you ever had this feeling too, guys? You might relate to this. You have this feeling like, I hope they don't find out the truth. <laughs> you're like, I'm, I totally feel like I'm faking it right now. And if I ever find out the real deal, they don't, I don't know that they'll like me. If they ever found out the truth about me, I don't know that they'd accept me or not. You ever just, you just feel like, Dear Lord, I'm in over my head. I felt like that when I, when I first took over and started this church. I was too young, too inexperienced. It's it just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. God, it, it, it's a good place to be many times because it makes you so completely dependent on God. Because you're in over your head, because you're beyond your own abilities, you are so humbled by it, hopefully, that you're like, dear God, if you don't bail me out, if you don't help me, if you don't save me, if you don't, I don't know what, I don't have the strength, the ability, the wisdom, the know-how, and that is, in essence, where Joshua is. Joshua is stuck. Now, let me tell you where he's stuck at. Joshua was the assistant to Moses, and Moses dies. The very first verse in the book of Joshua goes on to describe like, hey, Moses is dead. And so now what you're stuck with is, is that you have to stand in the shadow of or fill the shoes of the greatest leader that ever lived. So like that's behind you. And then, oh, by the way, before you is a land of giants and fortified cities and that's where you're at. You're stuck right in between this whole mess. Let's read Joshua 1, chapter 1. So the Bible says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. And so this is where Joshua's like, wait a minute. So Moses the greatest leader who ever lived. Like, as a matter of fact, you want to hear, this is what it says, this is what the Bible says about Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 34 says this. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. How I many know that's kind of like overwhelming? Like, this guy used to talk to God. I'm nobody. This guy, there's never been one before him. It's like It's like trying to be Michael Jordan's protege. It's like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. So the, verse 11 says, Who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his officials and to his whole land? For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. That's your predecessor. He's the most awesome. You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like somebody talked about another person? that was in your field and in your category, or maybe they talked about your older sibling, or be like, oh, they're the best. You know, your older brother, he's the smartest. God, he's so good looking. He can, everything he touches just turns to gold. What do you want to do? You want to punch your older brother. You'd like to slash his tires. Can you imagine like taking over a job and all they do is go on and on about how the guy that had that office before you was the best ever. You will never measure up to what Bill did before you guy. I mean, this guy was, this guy was amazing. And Joshua's like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. I got to fill in for Moses. So this is what it looks like here. This is, if you can put this on the screen for me, Amanda. 
I got the greatest leader ever before me. Now, before me, this is the crazy part. I have a land of giants and fortified cities, and this is the craziest part. This is the one thing that this leader couldn't do. The great, you mean the greatest that there ever was? He couldn't do this? And you put me here? Now, how would you feel if you were here? This is my imagination. I would be incredibly insecure. I would feel overwhelmed by that moment. I would feel so, like, not good enough, not smart enough. There was nothing I could do to measure up. I'd feel insecure. And don't your insecurities speak to you like a little voice in your head? Like, I don't know about you, but you're in the moment. You feel pressure. You feel stress. And it's as if there's that little birdie on your shoulder. And he says stuff to like, you're like, man, you're going to so mess this up. You're going to fail. Dude, what if they don't like you? You, there's no way. You do not have what it takes. You're not blank enough. You're not smart enough, pretty enough, talented enough, good enough. I, I don't think you have what it takes. It, that's just what my insecurities say to me. In the moment where stress and pressure have got the best of me and the little voices in my head speak, and I know it's not the voice of God, it's the voice of insecurity, that's what they say to us. And for Joshua, it made total sense. Based on these circumstances, he had every reason to be completely insecure. Now, let me tell you something about the book of Joshua. The whole book of Joshua is a story about people overcoming obstacles. That's what the whole book is about. When you look at the Bible, many times you can look at it and say, oh, well, these are historical accounts. They are and they're not. They're historical, but they're revelatory. They're historical, but they're insightful. Meaning like, yeah, it's a book about history and that's true, but it's actually written beyond history. Because really, the book of Joshua is just not about him and them and the Israelites overcoming their obstacles. It's actually about you overcoming your obstacles. So the book of Joshua is not about them conquering cities and overcoming giants. It's about what you face. It's about you overcoming fortified cities and giants in your life. Because the Bible was written in such a way that, yeah, it was written about them, but it was written for you. And so what I want to do is is look at, in essence, what does Joshua do? Because this opening chapter, there's no battle yet. Now, the book of Joshua is built on about four major battles that take place. But the very first battle to me is not like against another person. It's the battle within. It's the battle against his own insecurity to say, holy smokes, I, this is too big for me. I, I don't have what it takes. I'm not equipped for this. God, what are you going to do? I need your help. Now, this is why this is so key. It's because look at what God does. God recognizes the predicament that Joshua's in, and this is what he begins to say to him. So if you have your, your Bible, keep reading along. Verse number three says this. Verse 3 says, and this is God speaking. So he's like, hey, Joshua, you got the greatest leader behind you. You got insurmountable odds ahead of you. But listen, I will give you every place where you set your foot, just like I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to the Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in 
the West. And so the very first thing that God does is God begins to recognize, which is just good for me and you to recognize, hey, God knows exactly where I'm at in life. He knows my thoughts. He knows my insecurities. He knows my fears. He knows my issues. And he speaks into those because he takes Joshua and he pulls him to the side and he goes, hey, I know you're feeling insecure right now. So let me just reaffirm you. Let me build your confidence. And the very first thing that I want you to recognize is this, is number one is this, is that my confidence comes from reminding myself of what God has promised. See, the whole story is about the promised land, isn't it? You had this bunch of ragtag slaves coming out of Egypt, and God said, I want to get you into a brand new place. Everybody say, promised land. And the promised land was just kind of this big metaphor for like this a place of abundance, this place of rest, this place where they belong, this place where God's blessing would be. Jesus would have referred to it like this. I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest, an abundant life. I've come that you might have salvation. So this was this idea of like the promised land. How many know like Egypt is bad? Nobody wants to live in slavery. And so you kind of come out of slavery, but then they're stuck in the desert trying to get all their issues and work their junk out of their system. And it's just kind of this slow walk out of Egypt. But eventually, God wants you to be in this place of peace and this place of abundance and this place of rest. And this is what God has promised them. Now, here's what I need you to see, though, is that the promises of God are not given freely as much as they're offered for you to take. I need you to think about that because God has promised you certain things in this life. But have you ever noticed that God does not force those promises on you? Has anybody ever said like, man, I didn't even play the lottery and I won. You know, like I could, I could keep going with that analogy, but you get the point, like they're never just forced on you. That literally what God has done is God has promised things and then God has offered things because this is what he did to Joshua and the Israelites. He goes, I'll be with you. I'll even defeat your enemies for you, but you've got to cross over that river. You got to go into enemy territory. You got to pick up a sword. You got to go to battle. And if you'll do all those things, the promise is that I will be with you. I'm just telling you, like the promises aren't forced on you. They're not just freely given. They're not just thrown in your lap. Have you ever checked your bank account and all of a sudden you just had more money in there accidentally? That, that, yeah, right. That's that, that usually is not going to happen. So it's not that the, the blessings and the promises of God are just going to just dump all over you. You're like, man, I had no idea. Thanks, God. And then you write a thank you note. That's not how it works. Is that there are promises that are offered, but you must take them. And the way that you take them is you actually kind of have to fight for them. But if you will fight, he will win the battle for you. So there's some promises. Check this out. Psalms chapter 103 says this. This is, this is beautiful. David says, praise the Lord, my soul all my inmost being and praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his his benefits, like the promises, like the things that God wants to give you, like God has promises, God has things for you. Don't ever forget those, like remind yourself of the promises of God. And then he goes this, these are some of the benefits or the promises. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So like, I just want you to know that the Bible is full of promises. And the more you focus on your problems, the more insecure you become. The more you focus on the promises of God, the more motivated you become. You realize this is something I need to pursue. This is something I need to fight for. This is something I need to take because God has promised it, but I need to engage 
in the process. So, for example, like God's promised salvation for all who trust in him. God promised that he would work all things for the good of them that loved him and are called according to his purpose. It says that God's promise is that he would comfort us through trials, that he would finish the work that he started in us, that he would give us peace when we pray, that he would supply our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Like these are just some of the, I I could keep going. For sake of time, I'll pause. So my question would be is this. What are the promises of God that you're clinging to? What are the promises of God that you're focused on? Because here's the deal. When you focus on the promises of God, all of a sudden it gives you a focal point. Here's here's what I know to be true. Is that just by being focused, just by, let me put it like this, just by not focusing on myself, that alone will get me out of my insecurity. I I don't know if you ever thought of this or not, but anxiety flows from self-centeredness. Let me say it again. Anxiety flows from self-centeredness. The more I focus on me, the more anxious I become. You can't focus completely on you and your problems and not eventually become stressed, anxious, and eventually insecure. And so what God immediately does is he looks at Joshua and says, man, I get why this kid is insecure. I get why he is worked up. I get why he, is, he would be in an emotional frenzy. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remind him that God has a promised land for him and that that is the promise. And I'm going to be true to the promise. Just like I said, I was with Moses. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to get you into the promised land. Let's keep reading. This is where he goes next. So when you look at, at verse number five, he says this. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. So the first thing that God does, he goes, hey, I want you to know that I made a promise and I'm a promise keeper. So I got your back. We are going to get you and these people into the promised land. But then he does something else too. He just begins to like speak stuff over him, like just, just, applaud him, congratulate him, praise him, encourage him, just keep validating him with all of these words. I want you to get, he he starts off by saying, hey, I'm with you. Like that might be the most important thing. Hey, just the fact that I am with you. I I want you to be strong. Like you got this. Be courageous. Like you got this. Come on, I'm I'm behind you. Number two is this, my confidence come from listening to what God has said, said to me. My confidence comes from what God has said to me. Which begs the question, what has God said to you? Because there are times in life where you can take the Bible and it's written in such ways that you can begin to apply things generically. And anybody can do that. You can go pick up any set of messages from me and apply that to your life and say, yeah, generically that's true. But see, when you pursue God on your own and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, what he does is, is he takes something that used to be generic And then he makes it so tailor-made and custom and specific for you. And all of a sudden, a promise that used to be kind of vague and felt like it was kind of for everybody, it picks up the voice of God and the breath of God on it. And all of a sudden, you realize, that's for me. That's what he's been trying to say to me. That's what he's trying to, to get worked out in me. This is what God's wanting me to know, what he's wanting me to believe, what he's wanting me to hang on. There's a difference between a generic word spoken versus God specifically custom tailor making something for y'all. I'll prove it to you. Watch this. Jesus, when he was in the desert, if you go read Matthew chapter 4, 
He's in the desert. He's being tempted by Satan. And he'd been fasting for 40 days. And so the first temptation was very simple. Hey, dude, you got to be so hungry right now. Have you ever thought about pizza? I remember, I remember we were in a fast one time, and that was the weirdest thing I'd ever experienced before. But I remember, um, can I just use the word lusting? I'm not trying to be weird. I was lusting after pizza. I'd been fasting for so long, and I saw a commercial, and it was like, a, it was like Domino's. It wasn't even like a great pizza, but it was Domino's. And you know, like when they do the commercials, and then they, they pull away the slice, and yet the cheese hangs on to the, to the rest. And, it's just, and I'd been fasting, and so I remember thinking, oh, my God. And I remember like it was right before I went to bed. And so I laid down that night and I just was like, I, I don't think you call it daydreaming. But I was like just lusting after the thought of food. And Satan does this to Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. And he comes, he goes, man, you've got to be so hungry. I bet you're really hungry. Hey, dude, you know what? You're the creator of the universe. You can do anything you want. You see that, that, that rock right there? You could take that rock and just whoosh, turn it into like some Wonder Bread, a loaf of bread, some sourdough. Maybe some butter on top. And like, you do whatever you want. And it would be so good. It would be so delicious. And Jesus' response was this. It was so profound. He quotes a scripture from the Old Testament. And he says this. He goes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Everybody say proceeds. See, here's what you need to know. Is that there is a proceeding word, meaning like a current, fresh, now specific, custom, tailor made word just for you. And what Jesus was saying was this He goes, You need to hang on to the word that like is fresh. Like the fresh bread, you need the fresh word from God, not listening to something stale or generic or cross. No, no. What is God saying specifically to you? Now, you want to hear something fascinating? What was the last thing that Jesus had heard God speak to him? If you go back right to the beginning of the fast, it was where Jesus was baptized. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And when Jesus came up out of the water, do you remember what happened? The Bible says that everyone heard an audible voice and the audible voice said what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know what that was? That was the current, the fresh proceeding word from God that Jesus was hanging on. So when he was just quoting from the Old Testament, he was quoting something generic, but he was hanging on something so specific at the same time. And so my point is this, is that you need a relationship with God by which you allow God to speak to you through the scripture, through moments of prayer, not something generic, but something tailor-made to your current dilemma. The greatest promise, if you're taking notes, that I believe God gives him is this. It's not his stuff. The greatest promise is God himself. Think about what he promises over and over and over again. Because many of the times when we're praying, we're praying for stuff. Let's be honest. We're like, God, please do this. God, open up that door. God, give this to me. God, God if you'll just make her mine, you know, whatever it is. It, you, you got all this stuff that you're praying for. But if you look at the main promise that God continually gives Joshua in his moment of insecurity, it's not the answer to problems. And it is not the stuff that he, you think he would need. It was simply God's presence. And that was the most important thing that God said that he would do for Joshua. Let's keep reading here real quick here because we get to verse 7. Verse 7 says this. So he says, be strong and very courageous. Like earlier it was just be courageous. Now it's like, no, nah, for real. Like very courageous. Uh, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to, everybody say obey. Yeah, like three people said that. Come on now. Everybody say obey. Yeah, good. So be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you. 
and do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, everybody say then. Okay, when you say things out loud, you, you have to move your lips. I don't know if you know that or not, but when you say things, your lips move. Everybody say then. Okay, now, all right, don't make me work for it, people. Okay. It's July. Don't make me earn it. Uh, just, just flow with me. Uh, then you will be proper, uh, prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? I, I need you to get this real quick here. Uh, number one is that your confidence comes when you focus on the promise of God. You've you got to focus on the promise of God, not your problems. You've got to focus on what God has said to you, the specific tailor-made message that God is, is speaking to you and over you. But do not neglect this, that my confidence comes from the safety of obeying God. All right, I, yeah, I, 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 like you need to know something that is incredibly true and incredibly profound, that when I obey God, there is an absolute sense of security. And here's why. If I obey God and it all goes bad, it's on God. Now, I just was doing what you said to do. You ever done that with your parents? Remember your little kids? And you're like doing what they told you to do and then you break something? You're like, hey, hey, I was just doing what you told me to do. You're obeying your parents. Your little brother gets lost or loses a limb. You're like, hey, I was just obeying you. My point is, is that when you obey God and it all goes wrong, it's on God. If you disobey and it all goes wrong, it's on you. How many of you want it on God? How many of you want it on you? Yeah, you don't want that. And so I'm just telling you, there's a sense of safety. There's a sense of comfort. There's a sense of like, hey, if I obey God, I'll be in his safety net. If I obey God, he's got my back. If I obey God, he's the one that has to bail me out. If I obey God, he will be the one to have to reward me in the end. This is true of the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about this. The Apostle Paul was beaten, was stoned, was imprisoned, and was eventually beheaded. All because he was obeying God. How many of you know, like, but, but this is what you need to know. To the apostle Paul, he gets to the end of his life, and you know what he said? He said, I finished the race. And now there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. I just want you to know, he, what he was saying was this. I don't care how it goes. I have finished the race. I did everything he asked me to do. I was always obedient. I was always doing the way, the how, the thing. I just want you to know, I was, and now God's got my back. And now I finished the race. So it doesn't matter how it turned out in the now. That's the beauty of God. God always wins because he controls eternity. So even if I lose in the here and the now, I win. And this is, and the opposite is true. How many times in our life do we look at the mess or the chaos around us and it's simply because we disobey God somewhere down the line? Somewhere down the line, there was a point where we stopped following God. We weren't walking in the ways of God. We somehow disobeyed God. We disobeyed counsel, wisdom, scripture, and all of a sudden chaos ensues. I'm just telling you, that's on us. Now, I'm going to give you something really, really profound. Um, I, I need you to understand how obedience actually works. How many of you want to obey God? Yeah, like most people aren't like, no, I totally, I want to disobey. Well, some of y'all do. But most of us, most of us don't. I'm going to tell y'all the secret to obeying God. Um, put this up on the screen. Everybody, everybody say, say it. 
Remember that? Move, move your mouth thing. Everybody say it. Meditate on it. O- obey it. So look, look at what he says. First thing he says is this. He goes, obey all of the law of Moses. Now, this is the word Torah again. It just means instruction. Law is not a very good interpretation. It just meant the instruction of God. Basically, the instructions on the best way to live life. That was the way that they would have thought it. The instructions on the best way to live life. Make sure that you obey these things. But then he backs it up because then he goes this. He goes, you know, obey. And if you obey, you will be successful in wherever you go. But then he doubles down and he says these words again. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips, which means what? Yeah, that was an analogy or a euphemism for like, say it. You need to take the scriptures and say it. They need to be on your lips. They need to be something that you read aloud, quote aloud, rehearse to yourself, whether you're reading it live in the moment or whether you've memorized it and in the moment of need, you say it out loud. Please do not, I know this is like, Todd, are you for real? Yes. There is something incredibly profound to you speaking the words of God. And then he goes down further. He goes, after it's on your lips, I want you to meditate. Everybody say meditate. This was not yoga. This was not like sit in silence for 30 days, cross your legs, do some incantations. That is not what that means. To meditate for them would have been to go and to say, let's, let's go word by word. Let's think through phrase by phrase. Let's put it in its context. Let's think about all the other places that maybe this word or this idea or this phrase is used. Let's really pray through the scripture, think through the scripture, memorize the scripture, chew on the scripture. Let's do everything to absorb it into our heart and into our mind and to put our mind and heart on the scripture. He says, so I want you to say it. I want you to meditate it and then watch, because what he says here, he goes, meditate on it day and night, meaning like not just once a day, in the morning, and at night. That's important. That's not like just, just random hearsay. That's like specific, do it in the morning, do it at night. And then you will be careful to do everything in it. Okay, let me, let me put it like this. If you don't say the words, and if you don't meditate on the words, obeying the words become almost impossible. Have you ever been frustrated with yourself? Like, why can't I just obey? Why can't I just follow through? Why can't I? You, have you ever gotten to the end of some chaos and trouble and you looked back on the chaos and the trouble and the mess that you made and actually thought to yourself, wow, I, I had no idea. I just didn't know any better. Maybe about 2% of the time we get to the end of our chaos and be like, I had no idea, right? It wasn't that we didn't know better. Right? You ever gotten arrested? Got? Don't raise your hand. And then been like, I, I had no idea I wasn't supposed to steal a car. I had no idea I was supposed to rob that liquor store. I had no idea I was supposed to punch that person on the highway. Like, I didn't know. My point is, is that knowledge is not the difference maker in whether you obey or not. It's not. Because the vast majority of the time, we get through our own chaos, we get through our own foolishness, and we never say, well, I just had no idea. I didn't know selling drugs was illegal. That is a, it, never, it never crossed my mind. We, it's not knowledge that's our issue. It's obedience to it. And the reason why we don't obey is because we've not spent time saying it or meditating on it. Now, here, here's the deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with you for a quick second. Let's go, let's go nerd, okay? There's something that neuroscience is catching up to that the Bible's been speaking for literally thousands of years. 
So what they're able to do now is track the neural pathways of your mind as you think and have emotion. Okay, so they can put little helmets and put little sensors on you, and they can check and track and kind of follow how your mind works as you think certain things and feel certain things. And here's what they're discovering, is that in essence, the things that you think about, the things that you meditate on, and the things that you say actually create new pathways in your brain. And the more that you think about things, meditate on things, and say things, the more you solidify the pathway from point A to point B in your mind so that it becomes who you are. Or as Jesus would say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Meaning you become the very thing that you have set your mind and heart to in terms of meditating and rehearsing both day and night, speaking it constantly. So the thing that you want to become in life, I guess here's my point. How many know like we all are people of good intentions, right? We all want to do what's right. We all want to follow Jesus. We all want to do the generous thing, the kind thing. We all want to obey God in the moment. But your intention is not the issue. It's the practice of the saying and the meditating on Scripture that creates new pathways in your brain. I'm going to go one step further than I'm done. This is the other thing that they're discovering is they add what they're learning in neuroscience, what they're combining it with, with geneticists that look into basically the human genome. Now, how many know that you were born, how many of you got like a crazy parent, right? Somebody's got, you, okay, two of them. So you got at least, well, you got some crazy grandparents, your great-great-grandparent, you found out he was a, anyway, so... We all got craziness in our genome, right? Am I the only one? Okay, God, but my Lord, y'all are leaving me hanging up here. Like, am I the only one with weirdness in their family? Vito clearly does. He was owning that quick. Um, okay, so, so, so what they learned was is that when you have a DNA strand, you have a genetic code, okay? So you get your code from your parents, right? So you got all these different little things. And, and this is why people that, how many know, like, you're Italian, so you got this anger issue. So because mama was angry and grandpa was angry, and you're like, well, I'm just angry. You ever said that or heard somebody say, well, I'm just angry. That's just the way I am. That's just the way that I've always been. I've never been any other way. This is the way mama was. This is the way dad was. This is just the way that I am. And it's true. And it's not true. Because what they found is, is that when you begin to think about, say, meditate, you begin to rewire those pathways in your brain, the additional thing that happens is, is that when you look at the DNA strand, it's like flipping switches. So there's certain parts of your genetic code that you can turn off and you don't have to turn them back on. And there's other parts of your genetic code that you need to turn on that you ain't ever had on before. And the way that you do it is through the speaking and the thinking and the praying and the meditating of God's word, because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is that good? How many of you want to flip the switch? Yeah, how many of you want to like, let's, I'm tired of being who I used to be. I'm tired of having to repeat the same foolishness, the same mistakes, the same sin. And he's given us the outline that literally you need to change your pathways. You need to change the way that you think. And it will not happen accidentally. It will only happen when you in the morning and in the evening decide to put it on your lips, to put it on your heart, to put it in your mind, and then to begin to put it to practice. Because he says, remember what he says, he says, obey in verse 7. But then by verse 8, he breaks down how. He says, put it on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you can be careful to do everything written on it. Everybody say then. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now I'm going to give you like some motivation here. Let's put it like this. The love of God is free. 
the promises of God are conditional. Right? We already talked about that. God's not forcing blessing on you. Your bank account's not magically going up. You're not winning the lottery without buying a ticket. Nothing is magically happening, right? The promises of God are conditional. They're requiring you to create some type of cause and effect that we've already discovered happens when we focus on the promises of God, when we hear the voice of God, when we obey the commands of God, that when we do that, we position ourselves for success. And following in the ways of God is the catalyst to my future success. That's it. How many want to be blessed? How many want to have a promised land? How many want to enter into peace and rest and God's abundant life? It will not happen magically. It will happen simply because you decided to put yourself in that position where you're focused on the presence of God and the promises of God, the words of God, obeying because you've meditated and spoken and you have changed your life because God wants to set you up for success. Now I'm going to close with this. Um, if you have not read the rest of the book of Joshua, um, spoiler alert, they take the land. Okay, I don't know if you knew that or not. There's a bunch of battles that are going to take place. They're all fascinating. They're all different, unique. What they have to overcome is amazing. But just a spoiler alert, they do take the land, okay? If you didn't know that, now you know. That's what the rest of the Old Testament is written about. That's, that's what happens. Listen to what he says, though, as he closes. We'll, we'll read these last few verses and be done. So Joshua is still there in this moment of insecurity. God has spoken over him promises and his presence and all these things. And he closes with this. He goes, be strong and courageous. You know how many times he said that in this, these just first nine, ten verses? Multiple times. Hey, you got this. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm with you. You got this over and over and over. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people. He rallies the crew. He says, go through the camp, and you tell the people, get ready, because three days from now we will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Everybody say next week. Next week, I want you to get back in here. This is just like the start. This was like the opening moment. They haven't even crossed the river yet. They haven't faced their first city, their first battle, their first obstacle. This was just Joshua's personal moment of saying, hey, how do I stop being so insecure because of my circumstances, which he had every right to feel that way. And God gives him this incredible blueprint of feeling confident, of knowing that God was with him. And we'll summarize it like this. When I cling to the promises of God, listen to the voice of God, and obey the commands of God. I can rest assured, I got this, because he is with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. God, we know that life is full of battles and obstacles, sometimes giants and fortified cities, that, that, that life has challenge to it. But God, we are not alone in these challenges. God, you are with us your strength, your comfort. God, we, we, we just so ask for your help, Lord God, to shake off the insecurity and in the moment, God, feel so confident, not in our inability. Let, let, let us hang us up, Lord God. Let us focus on your ability. Let us focus on your promises and your presence, Lord God. Let us cling to your commands and obey them with every fiber in our being so that, God, you can set us up for great things. Father, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning if you would.